Amen. We're beginning a new series, new year, new series. We're not leaving the Old Testament just yet. Uh, We're going to start a new series today in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so uh, you'll find that book. It's a little bit smaller, but between, um, excuse me, after the book of Proverbs, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes may not be well-known territory for most of us. Uh, in fact, if you've read Ecclesiastes, you may have come away from that book saying, why in the world is this in the Bible? This, this is the most depressing book I've ever read. Um, so there's, there's a little foretaste for those of you who haven't ever read Ecclesiastes. Um, Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book, uh, and we looked at wisdom last year when we talked about the book of Proverbs. And remember what we said then, that Proverbs, excuse me, that wisdom is learning to live uh, with skill in God's world, right? Uh, It's wisdom that teaches us how to navigate the complexities of life. So law gives us the the black and the white, right? Law says that there's wrong and there's right. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. I'm a poet and I didn't know it. Um, And there, there are some people who would say, well, all of life is gray. There really is no black or white, but that's that's not true. Uh, even even the people who say that aren't really consistent in living that. Just break into their houses and steal their stuff. You'll find out really quick. That, no, there is a wrong and there is a right, right? But that's what law, those are the categories of law. Proverbs, or wisdom rather, helps us navigate the area in between, where it is complex, where it is gray. That's where wisdom has us. Now, Proverbs as a wisdom book, helps us navigate kind of day-in, day-out reality. So work, relationships, family, justice, riches, all of those things that we looked at last year, the day-in, day-out stuff. Ecclesiastes is aiming to tackle the deeper questions, the, the big questions of life, particularly, is there meaning in life? What is the meaning of life? And so if, if Proverbs is strolling down Main Street, Ecclesiastes is exploring out on the frontier. Now, to answer those meaning of life questions, Ecclesiastes is going gonna, is gonna to want to examine what you and I usually ignore. It's going to ask us some hard questions. Uh, Ecclesiastes is an uncomfortable kind of wisdom. Uh, It's designed to make us uncomfortable. The teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes is going to need to tear some things down before he builds. Uh, I don't know if any of you, I'm I'm not a fan of clutter. I'm not a clutter person. Thankfully, my wife is also not a clutter person. We, uh, We regularly purge things from our house. We actually have a whole bag in our bedroom of things that we throw in there and that we usually take uh, to give away. So, but I realize that's not everybody. Uh, But here's what Ecclesiastes is going to aim to do. It's going to start going through your house, and it's going to start decluttering it, right? So, you know, you think of all of those things that you kind of scrape together, and you say, this is mine, life. You know, if you've ever seen the show Hoarders, really the last thing in the world that they want is for their homes to be cleaned out because this is, this is my life we're talking about. And so Ecclesiastes is going to do the very uncomfortable job of going through our houses and cleaning out a lot of the clutter that we've 
gathered and accumulated as part of life, the things maybe that we found meaning and significance in. So while maybe it's not the most optimistic book to begin a year with, uh, it's a very necessary, it's a good way to start uh, start a new year. Um, but like I said, it's going to be uncomfortable. before It's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, and you're going to see what I mean in this opening poem. So let's look at Ecclesiastes 1, verses 1 through 11. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens back to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its round the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, look, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help. Father, as we approach a a difficult passage, really a difficult book, I pray that uh, we would not despair unnecessarily, but that uh, you would use even these words to point us to eternal truth. So that the the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever seen a a truly great sandcastle? You've been to the beach and uh, seen some some feats of engineering wonder? I remember a guy uh, when I was in Panama City seeing a seeing a guy who was like Picasso with a plastic shovel. Uh, What he was able to do with sand was absolutely stunning. The towers, the turrets, the walls, the roads, the moat, all of it. It was huge. It was impressive, Uh, this amazing sandcastle. He had certainly left his mark on the sand. But what happens uh, when the sun goes down and the tide comes in? All his vision, all his artistic ability, all of his hard work, the sunburn that he earned for spending that many hours working on a sandcastle, all of it's gone, right? The water passes over, and that patch of sand looks much the same as all the rest of the sand. And Ecclesiastes says, that's life. That's life. And man, is that a hard pill to swallow. 
Because we really want to believe that all of the striving, all of the toiling, all of the work that we do is making a difference. And this opening poem of Ecclesiastes says, not so fast. Like I said, uh, Ecclesiastes is going to point us to life. It's going to get us in the right direction. But before we get there, he's going to have to dismantle some things first. And his opening shot is this. That you and I gain nothing for all of our toil. You and I gain nothing for all of our toil. Don't quit just yet. Hang with me. Let's see how he illustrates how he makes the point. First, he tells us that life is a vapor. Second, we see it in the fact that creation just keeps marching on and on. And third, we see that even where humans are concerned, there's really nothing new under the sun. All right? First, life is a vapor. Now, uh, these words of Ecclesiastes, they come to us from someone called the preacher. At least that's what my Bible, that's how my Bible translates it. Um, It's a unique word. It comes from a word which means to gather. And so literally it would mean the, the gatherer. And we take it to mean somebody who gathers and speaks to an assembly. And so we translate it preacher or teacher. Um, he calls himself uh, the king in Jerusalem, but he doesn't name himself. He calls himself a son of David. Uh, and so uh, some people think this is Solomon. Some don't. We don't really know uh, his identity. And actually, it's probably intentional that he leaves his identity something of a mystery because he really wants us to focus on his main message which we see in verse 2 vanity of vanity that's how that's how hebrew says something is the is the most right so where we would say something is the highest we add the est on the end of it hebrew uh, says something of something so the holy of holies would be the most holy place right uh, so when he says vanity of vanities, he means the, the highest vanity. All is vanity. Now, maybe your translation says meaningless, but that's not really the best word. As we're going to see when we go through the book of Ecclesiastes, there's meaning in life. There, there are meaningful things. So meaningless is not the best translation. Vanity is kind of old. We don't quite know what that means. So uh, maybe the word futility would be best Uh, but to get you to again this is a a difficult word it's used a lot in ecclesiastes so we need to understand it but uh concretely the word here refers to mist or vapor or fog or smoke all right so if you've ever gone out uh, on an early morning on a foggy morning right and it looks like a solid wall and you step off your front steps and you walk out into that fog when do you hit it? When do you ever come up against it? You might maybe, yes, maybe, no, right? You can you can see it. You can even feel it. It's real. It's there. But when you try to reach out and grab it, it escapes your grasp. Right? It 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 can't be grabbed. It's elusive. And then once the sun comes up, it burns it all away and it's gone. Vapor, fog, it's the word, Hebrew word, hevel. And that's what the preacher wants us to know. That's his thesis in the book, that uh, as much as we try to grab a hold of life, it's elusive. 
it escapes our grasp. And it's, it's short-lived. It's gone quickly. That's what, it means. That's what he means when he says that all is vanity. It's elusive and it's short-lived. So that's his thesis. Uh, now the question is, what is he going, uh, what's he going to do? He's going to take that thesis and he's going to test drive it through the different areas of life. And he begins in this first poem uh, by taking that thesis for a spin in our work, in our toil, what we devote ourselves to. He asked the question in verse 3. He says, what does a man gain? Gain. Profit. Something left over after you've covered your expenses. And the goal of all work, we would say, is to achieve something, to gain something. We want to have something to show for it. So what does man gain by all the toil, all the work, all the labor, all the trouble at which he toils under the sun? This is another key phrase for the book of Ecclesiastes. Under the sun, it means uh, life as far as natural existence goes. Everything here under the sun. Now, some scholars also take it to mean everything here apart from God, right? A a, a secular view that sees life as without God, like this is all that there is. I'm not sure that's exactly what he's doing, but it gives you the sense of how he's framing, how he's looking at life under the sun. So he asks the question, what does man gain? And then he answers it. And the rhetorical question, answer to his question is not much and he gives us two examples first he points to creation and then he talks about human progress so first we see that not much is gained by us when we look at creation and its endless cycles he says in verse four a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Now, usually we say people come and go. But he actually is viewing it from the back end from uh, terms of replacement. One generation passes off the scene and another generation comes on the scene. But as much as that happens, the earth remains. The earth continues to do what the earth has done for as long as it has been created. It just keeps going. And he points to the sun, right? The cyclical nature of the sun. The sun rises and it sets. It rises and it sets. And then he says it hastens. And the word there is pants. Almost like the sun is out of breath to get back to his starting point to do it all over again. The sun. Always going. How about the wind? The wind is free. The wind blows wherever it wishes. Not so, says the preacher. It blows to the north, and then it turns around and blows back to the south. And around and around and around the wind blows. How about the water? Well, all of the streams flow downhill towards the sea. And yet, remarkably, the sea never fills up. Why is that? You studied it in elementary school. We call it the water cycle, right? All that water flows into the sea, it evaporates, the wind blows it back up to, the, to where it starts, it rains, and it starts over again, right? Everything just keeps going. Now, does that mean that there's no beauty or goodness to be found in creation? 
No. Sunrises are beautiful. Sunsets are beautiful. We need the sun to live, to grow our food. We need water. God has designed these systems and cycles to keep us alive. But what we're doing here is we're asking ultimate questions, questions of significance. What do we ultimately gain of lasting value? What mark do we leave on this created world? Are we able to stop the sun? Are we able to stop the tides? Are we able to stop the wind? No. It just keeps on going as if you and I weren't even here. Right? Is life found in the toil? That's what the preacher is prodding us to ask. And at least when we look at creation and its continual marching, we have to say, nope, not there. Well, so maybe you would say, what about human progress? I mean, people have made a difference. We've, we've created new technology that have, that's made life better for millions of people. And that's certainly true. But again, in the grand scheme, what does it mean? And the author tells us that there's nothing new under the sun. We look at verse 7. When we ask, what about people? He says, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot speak it. The eye is never satisfied with seeing. The ear is never satisfied with hearing. We're, we're like the ocean. All of these things are always pouring into us, and we're never satisfied. We're never full. Reminds me of the, the song from The Greatest Show, Never Enough. All the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. Never be enough. What about progress? Verse 9. He says, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it said, look, this is new. Look at this iPhone. This is different. I imagine they said much the same thing when they invented pen and paper. Or a stone and an engraving tool. Right? Look, this is new. What has been done is what will be done. Yeah, but we have people living in space. I imagine that's what Columbus said when he discovered the new world. Look, there are people living over there. Yeah, but we can fly on rocket ships. And airplanes. And automobiles. And trains. And horse-drawn buggies. And so on and so forth. So yes, we have invented new things, but the new things that we invent are just replacements for the old things that were already invented. I mean, our our cities are astounding. What we can build, what we can imagine and build is amazing. And yet, look back through human history. We have envisioned and built amazing things for millennia. In fact, much of what we have built, many of the amazing things that we've constructed are now lost to sand and jungle, right? I remember my brother, he lived uh, in the Bahamas for a semester. Um, It's not nearly as idyllic as you think, Um, but he lived on the island of Eleuthera, and there was a Navy base on that island. I should point out that the Navy base is actually still there. It's just not in use. 
And so all of the buildings are still there. Even a lot of the equipment is still there. Obviously, the Navy got out everything that really mattered. But they left behind all the buildings and the the engines and all of this other stuff. And now it's just being taken over by trees and bushes and animals, right? It's just there. And so even when we look at progress, we have to say there's nothing new under the sun. What about history? Verse 11, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after him. And this guy is a killjoy. He says that most of, most of us will be forgotten in 100 years. My great-great-grandchildren will have no idea who I am. Now, maybe there's a picture. Maybe there's a name. Maybe there's even some accomplishments that are left in a record somewhere. But they won't actually know me. And that's really the exception to the rule. Most of us will be forgotten. So does that make you sad? Does that make you feel like you're wasting your time? Well, that's where Ecclesiastes is trying to drive you. The the goal of the preacher is to sober us up is to wake us up to reality from, from all of our distractions. You see, we're, we're really good at pretending, aren't we? I, uh, I crave organization and control. Uh, if I can reach the end, like if, I, if I can have the perfect plan and then execute that perfect plan, then I will reach the end of my day a satisfied and content individual. But ask my wife and children how often I cross the finish line that way. How often my plans and schemes are frustrated by interruptions, by things that weren't supposed to happen. Right? I pretend that I'm in control, but in reality, I'm not. Does that mean I shouldn't make a plan? No, plans are good. But they're not ultimate. They're not ultimately satisfying. I'm building sandcastles, which is why I get so anxious and frustrated when my plans are interrupted. I get mad at the tide for taking away all the hard work I put in. David Gibson, who writes on Ecclesiastes, says this, In it all, we are simply trying to make permanent what is not meant to be permanent, us. And we're trying to control what is not meant to be controlled, the world. And so Ecclesiastes is telling us, stop pretending. And this is especially important if you're young. Because if you're young, right, we're, we're still full of enough unbridled optimism that we believe, we, we pretend that if I, if I get into the right school, that'll be enough. I'll be content. If I find the right husband or wife, I'll be content. If we wait to have kids, we'll be satisfied, and then we can get on with it. Or if we have kids, we'll be satisfied. And then if we raise the right kind of kids, we'll be satisfied, we'll be content. 
What are you pretending about this morning? That's what the preacher wants you to, that's the first question the preacher wants you to ask. What clutter have you accumulated in your life to which you are white-knuckle gripping and saying, this is where life is found? If I can be successful in my work, I matter. If I can be successful in my marriage and parenting, I matter. And what Ecclesiastes wants to do is, is say, you're going to need to let go of that. Because you're going to die. And that'll be it. And he's going to say that in multiple different ways. But again, he's trying to sober us up and get us to stop pretending. Now, I realize that's not the most optimistic approach. It's not necessarily maybe what you wanted to hear this morning. But we need to at least begin by saying that we're all in this elusive search. We're all trying to grasp at the vapor and make it stick. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, what do I gain by all my toil? Now, it's interesting. Someone else asked a very similar question. A few hundred years after Ecclesiastes is written, Jesus would ask a very similar question. He puts it this way in Mark 8, 36. He says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? That's really what we need to get down to. What does it profit you? To gain the whole world and forfeit your soul. That's a question that every single one of us has to ask. But listen, we don't have to despair because Jesus also tells us where we can find true gain. He can tell us where to find profit, if you will. Just before that, in Mark 8, he says this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Friend, life is not found in gaining all you can. Life is found in giving it away. And that begins by giving your life away to Jesus. That's where we'll find meaning. Let's pray. Father, as we approach your table, as we eat bread and drink juice and remember what it is that you have done for us, would you also help us to bring to mind all the things we are doing apart from you? All the ways in which we are trying to get profit or gain from this life under the sun. Remind us, Lord, that you have come to set us free from that cycle. You've come to tell us where life is found, but you have to begin by cleaning out the house. And so, Lord, as we go through Ecclesiastes, I pray that for each one of us, 
that you would clean out the house so that we might see what's really, really important. And we pray it in Jesus' name.